And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me, as always, in a very Russian shirt, uh, rigging the the polls of of Raptors offseason questions, uh, like the Who Stays Index next week. Eric Crane, what's up, man? Uh, just supporting the Americans, uh, one of my, my favorite shows of the 2010s. Uh, not much is going on. We just got off a, uh, an emotional, in, in, in many different ways, press conference from Masai Ujiri, uh, and that was certainly interesting. How are you? Yeah, you talk about someone who's not supporting the Americans. Uh, Masai feels very much like the NBA's lone Canadian team yeah, was like, not supported enough by the Americans. Yeah, uh, Brett, he season. was this close from doing a Bret Hart. Uh, have, oh, yeah. you ever, have you ever noticed that the United States is shaped like a toilet? Uh, promo. <laughs> uh, not quite. Not quite. Uh, Masai's press conference ran about 45 minutes. It was uh, maybe even a little longer. Uh, he had to one-up Kyle Lowry from Tuesday, of course. Um, there's a lot to cover. We're going to unpack all that. Before we get into that, just a heads up that if you are not a subscriber to the written side of The Athletic, now is the time. Uh, no, the Toronto Raptors are not in the playoffs, so you don't get things like my Raptor recalibration or, or Eric and I trying to find uh, two different stories a night off a four-game sweep of the Brooklyn Nets. However... The Raptors not making the playoffs means that we're getting an early start on things like the draft and free agency and what the salary cap looks like. And right now, until May 25th, uh, subscriptions are only $1 a month. So uh, go and click off of any of Minor Eric's articles uh, to get that $1 a month deal. You can always also go to theathletic.com slash we the six. That's the number six. Um, yeah, $1 a month right now. Uh, and that only runs until Tuesday. Uh, so make sure to jump on it because there is obviously a lot, a lot, a lot of off-season content ahead. We're going to be slowly rolling that out over the next couple of weeks and months, um, you know, as we try to get a little bit of downtime ourselves. And for me, I've got to really start to dig in more on some of these draft guys. I think I have a good handle on uh, the lottery segment, but the two picks in the 40s, I need to do a <laughs> little more research on. Eric, you have a back and forth with our draft expert, Sam Bassini, coming on the weekend. Yep. Um, lots of good stuff. And my annual cap primer is coming Tuesday, which is always something I encourage people to bookmark and refer back to. So uh, lots of good stuff like that. I'll also note that uh, Thursday at noon, I'm doing a live Q&A on the site or app, uh, whichever you use. Uh, there will be a one-hour window there to ask whatever questions are on your mind. And if I don't get to them, uh, I will spin them into a mailbag on in the coming days after that. So um, that'll be your chance to get questions in. Hopefully, you can hit that 12 to 1 window. Uh, again, $1 a month right now uh, for the written side of The Athletic. If you are uh, just on the podcast side, well, we're going to talk a lot of Masai stuff uh, because... Yeah, that was a big season-ending availability. We'll talk uh, in a little bit. We'll talk about um, some of the other end-of-season avails, like Nick Nurse, Fred VanVleet, Kyle Lowry. Uh, what We'll do kind of a high-level look at um, what's ahead. But the big thing today is, of course, um, Masai Ujiri doing his season-ender. Uh, he had only really spoke uh, post-deadline when the team opted not to trade Kyle Lowry this year. He's slowly kind of done a little less media in favor of Bobby Webster. So these sessions are always kind of must-watch and must-pull from. Uh, and they're great. They're entertaining. And besides, uh, obviously, a very captivating speaker and a very emotional guy, um, there was a lot, a lot, a lot to sort through. Um, not the least of which is because Masai Ujiri does not have a contract beyond this season uh, Eric, we'll get into uh, the likelihood of him staying, but your initial takeaways from Masai's 45 or 50-minute session today. 
Um, he's not bored. So I think that's good news if you're hoping he stays. Uh, he, he's a lot of a lot of emotions expressed, a lot of feelings expressed, but boredom is not one of them. So in case you are in the camp of he needs a new challenge and needs to find a new mountain to climb, I don't think that applies, uh, certainly by the way he led things uh, or, or he, he revealed things. I, I think... It's clear that it's been a, a really complicated uh, and long, you know, you, you can go back to last March, but particularly you can even go back to the championship. I, I mean, we all know how that was complicated for him as well. Uh, uh, so I think he's been through a lot and I think he let a lot of that go publicly today. Uh, but I also, you know, Masai... He is emotional, but he's also as shrewd as they come. And this was sort of the last public moment, probably, to do a little posturing, a little negotiating. And he was not going to let that opportunity go by without saying, well, we better be acting like we're the Lakers, because that's who we aspire to be. He didn't mention the Lakers, but that was the general message. Yeah, the, I think the big thing, uh, the big takeaway in terms of Masai's own free agency is, um, you know, he said everyone talks about blank check, blank check, but it's not about a blank check for him. It's about what is the organization doing to make sure they're a championship level organization moving forward. And, you know, he mentioned things like the Raptors 905 and the OVO Athletic Center as infrastructure changes that MLSE um, put in place during his tenure. And those are things that Masai and Masai's um, team with Bobby Webster and Teresa Resch and everyone um, pushed hard for and worked hard to get in place. Um, what was less clear is what specifically that might mean um, moving forward. Like, obviously, we, we could talk things like, oh, the sports science staff or, or you know, mental health uh, people in the in the front office or, or extra scouts or whatever, all of those things, um but it seemed like, you know, he wants some some bigger stuff. And I, and I think, you know, the the most interesting one was maybe that I kind of got the impression he felt like MLSE maybe didn't have the team's back as much um, in figuring things out with the NBA and the move and everything this year. Um, so I'm curious, what do you think, you know, what are those items that Masai is looking for beyond the, the blank check and the willingness to spend into the luxury tax? Yeah, I mean, this is all speculating I, i'm not exactly sure and when he was asked what are those things he said well i'm not going to reveal like our business plan so uh uh it, it would sort of be a bit irresponsible for me just just to say but i think you know more of everything would be a, would be a start uh i think there's probably some sports science and some health monitoring that you know the one of the most interesting things he said just from a philosophical point of view today was this is a copycat league and we're trying not to be copycats so he wants to stay uh or get back to being uh ahead of the curve not just responding to what's going on around the league and uh, I think in terms of getting the practice facility, in terms of getting the G League team, that was, you know, they weren't the first to do those things. They did them and they did them to the top of the line when uh, when they did do them and, and they've taken advantage of them in, in ways that other teams haven't necessarily fully taken advantage of. But the, those were blueprints. Uh, and here he's talking about sort of forging a new path uh, and I can't get inside his mind, but I think it's, you know, safe to say that he wants to try some shit and he, he wants to get creative and he wants to put his imprint on this league beyond the many ways he's already done so before. So I know that's not a satisfactory answer. It's not a specific answer, but uh, I'm not on. The, <laughs> I can't. You know, I'm not in those high-level conversations, but he, he... The one thing we should point out is he said luxury tax is not an issue. Right. Ownership has always said they will pay into the ownership... Uh, into the tax when when he sees fit, 
and they've done so already uh, during the championship year. And uh, so that was a long conversation we've had for a long time with the Raptors. And that's not what's being discussed. No, and I, you know, it gets into some of the stuff that, you know, ideas start to cross my mind. And they're ideas that I don't even know if are legal within like the salary, the, the collective bargaining agreement. Like there are obviously only so many things you can do for players or, or do outside of your own roster um, to keep pushing forward. But uh, I have some ideas percolating based on what he said today. And I'm like Masai, I'm not going to give my business ideas away because I'm still, you know, waiting for uh, that G League assistant GM job to, to come up somewhere. Uh, Mexico City, what's up? Um, <laughs> no, um, I have some, you know, I... I have some things that I'm thinking about and I, I want to put a little more research into and um, you know, it's a copycat league. Sure. And you don't want to be that copycat, but there's also looking at what other leagues do and other elite teams in other sports and maybe borrowing from their models. And yeah, it, like I wondered it, to what degree like soccer's development program has always fascinated me. And now right, obvi and obviously the NBA like, just doesn't work like that, but right. Is there something there? Like, is there something yeah. there in terms of whether it's just for the league as a whole to streamlining Canadian prospects and getting... And even if you can't lay claim to those prospects, you have, like, helped their careers more and they yeah. look upon you more favorably. I thought, like, that's just totally off the top of my head, but that's something that goes on in other leagues that doesn't happen in mm -hmm. the NBA. Um... Yeah, and maybe something, you know, maybe it's a matter of, hey, this is something we want to push for in the next round of CBA negotiations and having the chairman of the board, uh, you know, having our back in those conversations. Uh, Larry Tannenbaum, of course, the, the chairman of the NBA's Board of Governors. Um, you know, maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's a, a longer-term outlook. Um, Eric, I, I want to ask, and again, this is going to be, you don't need to caveat it with we're just speculating because the press are just ended and obviously we're just speculating. Did you... Reading between the lines, was there any amount of this is will be Masai's first time negotiating with certain new board members on the MLSE board, and he is looking to find some sort of renewed commitment that the Raptors are as important to this um, this uh, regime at the MLSE board as it was as they were to the last one. Yeah, I think I, I mean that's something I thought of before the press conference well aren't you um, so smart yeah i am i i <laughs> yes I, i'm very smart uh i mean how could it not be like george cope has stepped down uh he was in charge of bell uh and there's new representation on the bell side i, I can't remember all the names that have changed on the board but you know in, in a lot of ways it's easier when there's one person. If you work for the, if you're the head decision maker with the Dallas Mavericks, you know Mark Cuban is going to do everything he can that he sees fit to advocate for the franchise. And I wanted to touch on that advocating on the franchise because something I thought about it, it goes back to Nick Nurse's uh, words, I, I think before the Clippers game, and he was talking about when the team was hit by the COVID protocols and had seven coaches and five players out. And, <laughs> and he said something along the lines of, uh, you know, it was take whoever you've got available to coach and take whatever you players got. Here's one day and go out there. And it was basically roll the ball out there and do what you can. And that sounded to me like maybe they weren't thrilled with the amount of time they were given to operate from that position. Uh, whereas other- and co or, like comparatively, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Other like Memphis and Spur and the Spurs were the two uh, examples I used in my article about sort of the season gone wrong that came out on Monday. Uh, check that out. I, I was pretty pleased with how it turned out. Um, but the, I think the Spurs had nine days off in the middle of the season, not days off is the wrong way. They had nine days in between games. Uh, the Grizzlies had 11. And now, of course, the Raptors had the six-day All-Star break baked into that, but they had to play games before uh, 
before that break undermanned and they had to play games after that break undermanned and you can say it's because they had the requisite eight players or you know rules changed as they got a better sense of uh or protocols change i should say as they got a better sense of how the science worked with uh with contact tracing and, and close contacts and all of that but it's an interesting conversation. Like, what would you rather have had? Would you rather have had pl played all those games undermanned and had a fairly normal schedule second half of the season? Or would you have had rather have played 41 games in the second half of the season and, and, you know, not had more than a day off in between games, but you had a chance to use all your guys? And uh, I, I think the Raptors, nobody has said this to me on or off the record, but this is tea leaf reading. I think the Raptors were a bit pissed about how that went down. Uh, and I understand that. Uh, and in terms and of it, that, go ahead, go ahead. It makes you wonder if certain leaks that came out pointing certain fingers at certain people in the Raptors organization for that outbreak that didn't happen when other teams had outbreak were in part to mitigate some of that anger or uh to at least counter program explain that away. line of thinking yeah yeah um and if they felt that you know ownership wasn't necessarily banging on the table to the requisite volume uh when that happened uh that's something that stands out to me about how the season went again i don't think this is that con like this isn't the entirety of the conversation but i think when you're thinking about what he's talking about this can pro if not this specific issue, this type of tone can inform what he's looking for. Yeah, and I think just to round out some of Masai's comments on the COVID stuff, um, you guys know Masai, he was very clear that, hey, these aren't excuses, but I'm not gonna lie to you. And the fact that they went one and 13 in March around those COVID outbreaks, you know, he still seems uncertain of what to make of that or, or how you even make heads or tails of it. Um, one thing that, you know, we heard this from Fred and Pascal and Paul Watson and Nick Nurse uh, that Masai said again was that a lot of the guys felt like they were running in mud when they came back. So it's not just the games they missed. It's, um, you know, obviously guys have to come back at a certain point. But when you're talking about the disproportionate impact on the Raptors and Masai thinks that he said everyone had it hard, but the Raptors were number 30 because of displacement and uh, the COVID outbreak and everything. Um, yeah, it was disproportional. And I think one thing that we can't really capture when we look at, you know, who sat for health and safety protocols or, or who, what team lost how much is, you know, the Raptors, also the players who were out were like disproportionately important for the Raptors. Um, they were three of their four best players. And they, you know, with the exception of OG, didn't look that great when they came back for stretches of time and were up and down getting their conditioning and their games back and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, like everyone else, Masai seems like he's having, you know, there are challenges in evaluating specific things from this year. Um, he was at least pretty optimistic, it sounded like, about the team's young players and how they responded to the opportunities down the stretch and, um, you know, how Nick Nurse worked within that. Um in general, though, obviously what people are tuning into here and what people would like to know is, is Masai coming back? Uh, we're going to talk about some of the roster stuff in a, in a minute, but in terms of him coming back, obviously he didn't say either way. Um, it's always funny with these things where half my mentions are uh, people saying, well, obviously Masai's coming back based on these comments and half are saying, uh, well, obviously he's leaving. And even our, our Raptors Republic group chat on WhatsApp right now is having some of that as well, where people are split on, on what, how to read these tea leaves. It's, uh, you know, tea leaves are not in English, I guess. It's, it's, uh, it's not straightforward. I would say that Masai seemed... Masai is always uh, emotional and passionate, and it's part of what makes him such an engaging speaker and leader and gets people behind him. Um, I thought in this session that emotion was maybe a little less consistent um, directionally. And what I mean by that is just the biggest takeaway I got from it, I think, is I don't think Masai knows what he's doing yet. I would agree. Um, I said this 
about Lowry speaking on Tuesday, and we'll get to that. Like, you can have your opinions, but whatever happened on on Tuesday with Kyle or Wednesday with Masai, you probably just saw what you what were you going to see. To see. <laughs> uh, not necessarily what you wanted to see, but what you sort of naturally believed beforehand. I don't think there was a ton there to change your mind because while he was like as of aggressive as aggressive and as I don't want to use the word critical but like so, sort of holding ownership feet to the fire a little bit uh, as we've ever seen him he also like cried at the mention or, or broke up a little bit cracked up a little bit when uh, Michael Grange asked him about the kind words that Lowry and Nurse and Van Vliet have said about how important he is to the team uh, he said you know I'll fight with these guys every single day he used the first person plural pronoun as many times as you'd like uh, which Kyle did not uh, <laughs> and I don't think you should read much into that either way but if you want to you could say that uh, so I, I mean the in the absence of evidence I will just say we've sort of been aligned on this issue all year long I think the most obvious and uh, before I get to that he really wants the Raptors back in Toronto. You know, oh, yeah. Another person's feet he was holding to the fire was his future boss and cabinet, Justin Trudeau. Yeah, and, he uh, ends the presser with, I'm going to go call Trudeau. <laughs> it's uh, that and some support for our, our pals over on the, the Maple Leafs. Yeah, uh, listen to the Leaf Report if you want. Um, uh, he, he said, No, I, I meant the people we like over with the Leafs. <laughs> oh, Kyle. What up, Dubas? Um, yeah, yeah. Noted. The the only guy uh, watching more of the awful, awful WWE programming than you, uh, Kyle fuck. Dubas. Um, yeah. He, he, and, and I think he wants to be, you know, if I had to bet, I'd say he wants to be part of the return to Toronto because this place means something to him. It doesn't take a lot to see what it means to him. You'd have to be a, uh, you know, a great actor to feign that sort of emotion. Uh, I don't think that one thing will rule the day when it comes to making him decision, his decision, but it will be a big part. So I think, I just don't think this is the way he leaves the organization unless he gets some really unsatisfactory answers from ownership. So I would still lean toward him coming back. I would still lean toward him coming back on a shorter deal with whether it's public or not, sort of a succession plan uh, behind him. Uh, but I, that's still how I feel, what I feel is most likely to happen. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Don Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. 
Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Yeah, a short-term deal. I mean, we've been we both said pretty much all year makes the most sense. You kind of you get the team back to Toronto, you steward the team to either the next front office or, you know, until you get kind of these vague infrastructure things that that you want. Uh yeah. So, roster-wise, uh another element of uncertainty here where uh obviously Masai spoke the world of Kyle Lowry um, Kyle Lowry's press conference was amazing on Tuesday as well. Uh, but everyone involved seems to be admitting that the Raptors are at a bit of a pivot point here, potentially, where, you know, there's, look, going young and looking toward the future and retaining Kyle Lowry are not mutually exclusive. You could do both of those things. Kyle Lowry's an excellent leader. He's still a good player. Playoff experience is part of the development system. But Kyle Lowry is also 35 and wanting to win more championships. And the Raptors, Masai Jiri especially, talked a lot about, hey, maybe that's one path, but maybe another path is giving even more to these young guys. And, um, you know, the the thing that he said that resonated the most with me, uh, not just because I'm someone who loves the player development and draft side, but having seen how this organization built and got to championship level, um, you know, he kind of talked about like how do they build, how do they build the next thing like that. So, so you know, if you look at Kyle Demar JV as the start of the era that eventually became the 2019 title, you know, what do you have to do to kind of rebuild that foundation? And I don't think that would mean Van Vliet and Siakam and OG are out the door. I just think it could mean everywhere else they look to get uh, a little bit younger because i mean those guys aren't old but um anyway all of that is to tee up eric whether you have i'm just going to keep putting you on the spot to, to speculate uh fresh off of kyle lowry and masai ujiri do you have a feeling as to kyle's future and do you think they're related like like kyle's future and and masai's future or the other order yeah, I don't, as much like Kyle said, it was a factor and Masai's the best at his job and he should be treated as such. Uh, I don't think it's a big factor for Kyle. Um, I also don't think Masai's going to push Kyle out the door or hmm. anything. But I just find it harder to find that sweet spot where it makes sense for the two to continue together. Uh, there are modifying factors. That's not the right word. Modifying factors. There are, there are factors that go the other way. Uh, namely, like this free agency class isn't full of like obvious alternate routes, especially if you're just looking for like one guy to fill Kyle Lowry's salary slot hmm. like that it's like either Kyle's gonna make the 20 million or whatever the Raptors can create or, or I mean obviously they can pay pay Kyle more but if they're not bringing him back you have x amount of room and I don't necessarily think there's one guy to spend that on there there are a few candidates but they're mostly restricted and that's a difficult game to play so it might mean taking on a chance on, on a number of guys with that money. Uh, but I think Kyle spoke a lot about his family and the importance of finding some sort of stability. Uh, and as much as he loves Toronto, it is the rare Raptor that settles in Toronto. Uh, and I would Come on, think... Jose's still got his place. <laughs> he has a few places. Um... I would think it would be somewhere down south in the States, perhaps in a tax-free area. 
um, uh, might make the most what sense. What are you trying to say, Eric? Uh, I'm saying Miami and Dallas both might have cap room to... Yeah, to Dallas got to get rid of Porzingis somehow, though. Uh, like, yeah. like, not... not not actually to, create to make the, space, the cap space, but, but like to make, to make that sense, team yeah. appealing to me in any sort of way. Yeah. Like wherever Kyle Lowry goes, I'm going to want to root for them a little bit. And I'm just not doing that with Chris Stapps for six yeah. on the roster. Um, so those are two options. I don't really want to talk about the options though, but uh, another thing is like, are the Raptors the best bet for him to compete for championships, which I would guess is the second sort of priority beyond... Oh, I guess third behind family and money, and those two things are related. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the Raptors are behind some teams in the East, and that's not to say it's impossible that they'll be back as soon as next year, like really competing for the conference. But I'd say the path is more complicated. And if you use the space you would have on Kyle Lowry, then there's certainly a ceiling. Uh, I mean, a bit of a ceiling in place unless you win the lottery. Uh, which is which? which is a great option. 7.5% is not zero. No, it's a great option. Um, so that could obviously... I think they should do it, in fact. Yeah. Um, maybe that's what Masai was talking about today in terms of ownership support. Look, Dan Reynolds and I have kicked around a screenplay on a heist-style movie that uh, would see the Raptors rig the lottery. So... Yeah. Um, it's not... Well, uh, it's not... I lo- I'm sure that will go where, where all of Reynolds' screenplays uh, have gone. Uh, Heyo. Um, but, but yeah, like, it's just, if he's back again, like, sure, does a two-year deal at $25 million a year or something make some sense? Yeah, but if you're thinking about that stability, like, the Raptors are back in a place where maybe if things don't go perfectly, they're looking to move him. Uh, unless Kyle says you absolutely can't move me and insists on a tr- or an, either a no trade clause or you know a pinky swear no trade clause, uh, I, I just find it complicated to see their futures align. Uh, I think you asked me in the in your upcoming he stay index hmm. uh, what percentage I had it at, and I think I put it at like thirty percent. That might be a bit low. Maybe it's more like 35, 38, somewhere in that range. But I I just have trouble finding the alignment unless everybody just wants to push it down, kick the can down the road for another year. That's a possibility, but that didn't seem to be what Kyle was necessarily looking for. Yeah. Is that uh, enough by the way, mealy-mouthness? Yeah, Kyle... Uh is eligible for a no trade clause he's one of the very few players that uh, can get that there are actually most of the no trade clauses that exist in the nba are like the automatic no trade clauses or the implicit no trade clauses um kyle is the the rare player who uh can negotiate one as he has been in the league for more than eight years and he's been with this team for more than four so you can get that that kobe no trade clause um ironclad yeah, ironclad like the big show. Uh, all right. In terms of roster building, the the two other notes I wanted to hit on quickly uh, before we pivot off of Masai. Uh, the first one is that Masai gave away their draft strategy and said that it could be best player available or the best fit. So now we know what they're doing. Yeah. It's it's one of those two things. Yeah. It's, it's either the best guy or the best fit. I think it's, it's going to uh, be Cade Cunningham. Yeah. Narrow your narrow your options down there. Um, the other thing was, um, Eric, what do you think of Masai kind of taking the ownership on the two and eight start with the misfit that he said misfits? I think he meant like poor fit, yeah, not that, not that Alex Len is a misfit, that he was a poor fit uh, yeah. for the system and for the team. Um, do you think they like what is the extension of that? Do they are they embracing going small with like Birch Gillespie kind of depth and tweak options? Are they still looking for a center? What did you take from that? I think they they want to be more mobile uh, at that position. I, I think that's mainly what I took. And by misfit, I think he meant like more stationary guys who couldn't necessarily get out on... Uh, that had very limited switchability, let's say, uh, for one example. Or very little like 
vertical rim protection uh, uh, for another. And, you know, I don't know. I, I think it was a mistake by them. Like, it's pretty hard to to find a way to say it wasn't. Like, I, even if, if you admire the process and, and think the process was sound, like there was an error in judgment, how many games it cost them. I, I, we did that exercise. And, I think we said and four. Four, you know, so... It's it's not the biggest thing in the world, but I, I think I, I don't think it's so much about size as is as it is about wanting to be longer and more athletic. And that's sort of the way that Masai was when he got here. You you know, if you think back to those Denver teams, he had JaVale McGee there at center for a while and and, and you know, loved the long armed wings uh that the raptors now have uh you know in siakam and and ananobi uh so i don't think he necessarily wants those guys playing center i i think he just wants some more flexibility uh and especially i think that dovetails with nick nurse's discussion about defense uh i think maybe they felt they weren't as positionally malleable at times as they needed to be, and that held them back. Um, I, I think they finished 15th in the year uh, for the year defensive rating, which isn't up to their expectations or or our expectations of them. So I think that is that's the translation I took away. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty accurate. Um, Pivoting off of, of Masai a little bit here, we, we have spoke to most of the uh, participating parties over the last couple of days. There are a handful toward the uh, toward the bottom of the roster, um, roster that, that didn't speak. But we got Fred and Pascal and Kyle and um, all the OG, all the people you want to hear from uh, who just don't shut up in OG's case. Uh, we talked Messiah and Kyle, but is there anything else that stuck out to you from any of the other guys? Nick, uh, Fred, Pascal, anything like that? Uh, everybody's so tired of this season. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, us too. Not to say we don't enjoy doing what we're doing, but it's war on everybody. Uh, and I, I mean, I think Fred put it best when he compared the last few weeks of the season to a drawn out fourth quarter of a blowout game and and then you know Jim Boylan calls a timeout with 40 yeah. seconds left and his team down 16 although Nick Nurse did that a few times down the stretch uh, as teaching moments when Jim Boylan does them they're petty when Nick Nurse does them they're forward thinking um uh, <laughs> it was a lot and like the team you know moving uh, I said earlier that the move itself and playing in Tampa in our hot takes in our take purge addiction didn't necessarily cost them any games but the act Wrong. of uh, the act of relocating in and of itself was draining um, and what they dealt with from a health perspective and going back to the bubble last year uh, was tiring and they had very little time off. Some teams had less time off. And like, look, like the teams that played into the conference semis uh, last year, Boston, Miami, Lakers, Denver. I mean, Denver is really the only one of those four teams who this season went anything close to well for. And one of their most important players tore his ACL. So, uh Walter is asleep and yipping as uh, yeah. we're, we're doing this uh, in case there are any background noises. Uh, so I, I think that wore on the Raptors a little bit. Uh, Fred Van Vliet, in terms of the long effects of COVID, said like he was mostly healthy beforehand and things kept on coming up. Not just like your stereotypical COVID symptoms or, or not even stereotypical uh, Evan Fournier talked about sort of feeling as if he was in the late after effects of having a concussion after COVID, the sort of feeling dazed and, and lightheaded a bit, but he just, you know, what's injury recovery like when after you've had COVID? We don't know things like that. And given the priorities that the Raptors were choosing in the last six weeks of the season, 
you can't blame everybody for sort of, sort of wanting to get out of Dodge. And that's what Nick Nurse mentioned. Like, it is so important right now that everybody just get away from Tampa or in the coach, in the staff's case, maybe not Tampa proper, but what they've been dealing with for the better part of the last year. So that's really what stood out to me. That's not a roster construction issue, but it's a vibes issue for sure. Uh, cool. Um, did you find Pascal to be a little grumpier than you maybe would have expected? That was my big note from... I don't know. I don't think Pascal loves talking to the media in general. Uh, yeah. the, the, like, And he's been really criticized. I, I mean, at some points, rightly so. At some points... Not over, if you listen to the take, Purge. Um, I said at some points. I think, like, you know, the discussion of his end-of-game... Uh, numbers and, and concerns are real uh but i think overall like yeah he showed some promising signs but look he's been in the spotlight in like very much since basketball came back since the nba came back uh at times it was flagrantly offensive the way he was in the spotlight um so I think he's a bit tired. I think he wants a minute. And uh, yeah, so I, I actually didn't notice that he was grumpier than usual. I didn't think yeah. he was particularly forthcoming, but I, I tend not to find him that way. Uh, like certainly not to the extent that Van Vliet is our, our 15th year Kyle Lowry becoming, you know, a Magic Johnson Award potential nominee for friendliness friendliness with the media like not in that sort of way but uh but yeah i think you know everybody can use a break and pascal siakam certainly uh high on that list um okay so uh sorry one sec uh, that was a very weird text message um sorry about that uh hopefully producer andrew catches this if not well well whatever. we can let him know yeah, uh, yeah, 39 minutes. Um, so, Eric, uh, that's that's kind of the main takeaways from, from the pressers. Uh, obviously, we're going to be writing about all this stuff, the key decisions, um, everything that's to come, you know, what the what the near-term future is like for, for every one of the Raptors individually. Um, I guess, what are you... What are you either most looking forward to about the off season whether our coverage or, or just like as a philosophical uh and what do you what do you rank as kind of the most important thing in the months ahead for the raptors uh i mean i think the draft is probably the most important thing um it's the draft the two second round picks <laughs> um the Raptors, I mean, teams say this all the time, but the Raptors don't plan on being in this position again. There's lots of reasons, as everyone pointed out in their off-season or postseason availability. Uh, their record wasn't necessarily indicative of the overall talent level. There are a lot of underlying statistics that say the Raptors are, at worst, a mediocre team. Uh, an average team, I should say, mediocre connotes maybe a little worse than average um so they're not they don't they're not as far away as having the seventh worst record in the league might seem at least that's their thought and that's mostly i i, I mostly agree with that while not letting them entirely off the hook for some you know roster construction flaws and some legitimate issues uh but this draft, this draft position is going to be huge, uh, or this draft pick is going to be huge, uh, and the second-round picks, of course, matter as well, Blake. Um, but they are a team that, you know, <laughs> Masai talked today, of, it was just a few years ago where he said, we have to stop talking about ourselves, like, we're not world-class. And, and while he didn't walk that back today, is like, he did mention, well, like, maybe the best free agents in the world aren't coming here. And, and there was a little bit about that. And so how do you get those skills, those top-end skills that you need? Part of that is through the draft. And, you know, if it's the seventh or eighth overall pick, uh, that doesn't necessarily solve your problems. But if you do it well, 
it can really, really help. It, it really lays, uh, you know, can raise the overall talent on your team in, in a way that the Raptors might not have a path to doing elsewhere. So it's going to be really important from a talent perspective to nail that. Um, besides free agency or lack of contract going forward, however you want to word that, is also massive. I think that's the thing I'm sort of dreading the most um, <laughs> because it's really, I mean, it's very much indefinite, right? Like there's and, no, and we've had to write about it like nine yeah, times over the last five yeah, years. And I'm, that's what I'm going to do right after this podcast. Uh, and, and yeah, it's just, there will be, you know, if it doesn't get solved right away, people are going to be trying to figure out what that means. And, reading minds and all that shit that I hate. So uh, I'm not looking forward to that. But I think, you know, on on the whole, those are the two more, most important transactions. And then beyond that, it's getting the development system really up and running and getting what you have in-house better. Because that's something that the Raptors did better than the vast majority of teams for a number of years that's one of the advantages they have and there are a number of reasons that might not have been true over the past you know year and a half and while in Masai's words he doesn't want to be a copycat league you do have to take advantage of your strengths and that will be important for them one further takeaway from the Raptors end of season press conferences and this one doesn't have as much to do with the Raptors. Uh, Nick Nurse mentioned, you know, in being asked about how busy the offseason projects to be, um, he likes to be busy. And also, if his offseason is really busy, it means that Canada qualified for the Olympics out of the Olympic qualifying tournament. Um, Nick Nurse is the head coach of Canada basketball. We have heard guys like Chris Boucher and Ken Birch say they'd love to play if they're healthy. Um, you know, guys like Dylan Brooks uh, give pretty solid commitments as far as you can not knowing your free agent status or how long you'll go in the playoffs and all that stuff um nick nurse said he expects that to be about a two and a half to three week commitment with and with the tournament only being six or seven days that means a kind of a 10 to 14 day camp out in victoria um oh he also mentioned that he expects nate bjorkren to be a part of his staff barring uh changes like o'shea Brissett leading the pacers on an unlikely championship run which, uh, if you watched the playing game last night, certainly looks possible now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's the only other thing I'd say keep on your radar. That tournament is scheduled for late June, so that would be a kind of second week of June camp start, so we're not that far off now. Um, if you're hoping for certain Canadians to be available, you are rooting against those teams in the playoffs. Sorry, Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, you're going down to DeMar and JV and Rudy Gay uh, and do they still have Marco Bellinelli? No. Who knows where Marco is? But yeah, who knows? Uh, all the ex Raptors on the on the Spurs are gonna help Canada out and knock Dylan Brooks out of the playoffs. Uh, although I think the Grizzlies probably win that game anyway. So we have that ahead as well. Again, yeah, that'll that's be late. that'll be fun, and uh, uh, I really hope that. You know, we wrote an article sort of forecasting the team. It's pretty much an impossible process to actually know because Ken Birch can say he's going to be there, and I'm sure he intends to be there, but it's one one you really have to consider your free agency and really have to work through the logistical issues about getting insurance and all that. We'll see, we'll see what happens. I, I, I just don't think... Anybody knows for sure, but you'd love to see like a fairly representative version of the best Canada has to offer there. It, w it will not be 100% attendance. It will never be uh, because it is when it is and the NBA playoffs are still going on. It will be like less than than even like a reasonable expectation, probably uh, in normal years. But, uh, you know, you just want to see a fun team that... Uh, has a lot of the names we've followed for so many years taken part. And I think they can get that. Sure hope so. Uh, it'd be a lot of fun. So that's late June. Uh, the draft lottery is June 22nd. The draft is late July. Free agency starts early August. Uh, we, I would imagine, will skip the odd episode of, of this podcast over the offseason. But not next week. 
I will be here uh, maybe alone, maybe with a guest. We'll see sorting through some of the kind of residual questions. Uh, again, Thursday at noon, either on the site or on the app, uh, doing a live Q&A and any questions I don't get to will get spun off into a mailbag. And uh, for that, for Eric's Tampa autopsy piece and his reactions to the Lowry and Masai Jiri press conferences, um, my salary cap work and kind of looking ahead to the offseason already here in this first week. For all that stuff, you can click on any of our articles right now and get a new subscription at $1 a month for the time being. And that runs out on Tuesday, so uh, make sure you get that going now. Um, we are at the end of the Toronto Raptors season. Uh, that does not mean, again, the end of our content or the end of this podcast. It does mean, though, that we want to say thank you for listening all year. Um, no, it's been a pretty weird year and kind of a joyless year relative to other seasons. Uh, we hope we've made that uh, a little more tolerable for you as a Raptor fan between the podcast and the written stuff on the site. Um, we appreciate you guys following along. And Eric, you're you're okay too. Uh, same to you, Blake, and and for sure. Like I, it's been dispiriting at times to be a Raptors fan this year. Just yeah, at times. It, uh, it's certainly. I understand the feelings of disconnection too. I mean, they're play. They played in Tampa. Uh, there's. I've seen a lot of Raptors gear lately, so that's nice. But. You don't have the same connection. You just can't. Uh, you know, the, when when the city isn't, when, you know, a large part of the city isn't congregating in, around an arena twice a week uh, to play basketball, it's going to be different. Uh, but we appreciate your following along and reading and listening. And, uh, you know, we, we both love doing this and uh, are very thankful for everybody's support. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I will talk to you guys next week. I don't think Eric will be on with me. Uh, however, uh, there will be a podcast and we'll continue to uh, tee up the offseason and, and then we'll eventually pivot into some draft stuff and, and maybe bring on some some draft people to break down some of the prospects some as draft well. Knicks. Draft Knicks. There you go. Um, until then, thank you so much. Stay safe out there. Uh, Theathletic.com slash Raptors. Click on any of our articles for a uh, $1 a month subscription right now. And Eric... Thank you. And tell Walter hello for me. Goodbye, Blake. See ya! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.